Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On this week's show, I am joined by James Wardle, who is the founder of Alderson James, a specialist talent acquisition and HR recruiter, headquartered in the UK with seven people. Now, what was so unbelievable about this episode is how honest and vulnerable James was. We spoke about the 10 years of running this business and how he started life with pretty much no plan. He was a wreck to wreck who wanted to effectively work for himself before getting married and having children. And how over the period of 10 years, everything changed during the pandemic because James had to be honest with his wife and his family and his friends that he was a a gambling addict. He was at a point where he was spending and winning and losing uh, on ridiculous bets. He was searching for things in lockdown, in the first lockdown, you know, like games in Singapore and Thailand and anywhere in the world he could find sport to bet on, he was betting. And he was also invested in crypto and all sorts. And it all culminated in September 2020 when he lost $50,000 in a day. One day he lost $50,000 and he had to open up and tell his wife what he'd been doing. His business nearly went under. He only had two members of staff or him and another member of staff at that point, And he was at rock bottom. Since then, though, he went cold turkey. He stopped betting. He turned it all off and his business has grown. He then hit two million in revenue with three people. He's now built the team to seven. He's working with clients all over the world. Some of the most unbelievable brands. He's switched on. He's focused. He's got a growth plan. He wants to get to 20 staff in the next couple of years. Now, it's not the biggest guest or biggest business I've interviewed on this show, but it is one of the most honest, vulnerable, incredible episodes I think I've ever recorded. So I really hope you find value as much as I did having this conversation. Without further ado, James, welcome to the RAG podcast. Good to be here, mate. Um, seeing lots of the uh, lots of the episodes you've done before. So yeah, really, uh, really pleased to be uh, able to, to come on and, t- uh, and talk to you about us. Finally got you on. Finally got you on. You said you've been listening to a lot of shows. There's been, do you know what? I looked at it today. There's been over, there's been almost 300 episodes now. 300. Amazing, man. I mean, like, kudos to you because when you first started doing this, I think you were saying on the Academy the other day that, you know, a lot of people, I think you got a little bit of kind of pushback from people, a bit of hate from people about uh, what's he doing, what's this all about and stuff. And, you know, I may have been one of those people, right? At one point, being like, this is, you know, a bit different. It's a bit, you know, a bit, bit, bit of an innovative thing to do within the recruiting industry, but you stuck with it and you've gone with it. And it's, you know, it's great and everyone knows what it is. So, yeah, fair play. Legend. That's the plan. Make sure everyone knows. Well, James, this is about you today. I want to know, um, 
obviously I, I know a bit about you guys. For people that don't know, could you do start by giving us the bird's eye view of you in the business today? So the, yeah, you know the geographies, the people, what you recruit, that kind of stuff, and then we're going to go back and tell the story. All right? Yeah, sounds good. So, um, so I run a business called Obs and James. Um, we are currently seven people, um, so boutique, uh, if you like, um, and we recruit for uh, talent acquisition and HR uh, slash people operations roles um, on a on a global basis, really. So we, uh, I'd say, the the bulk of the work that we do is in the UK. And we have done quite a bit of work within the EU, particularly in major startup centers like Berlin, Amsterdam uh, and Barcelona. Um, uh, we've looked into APAC as well and done a little bit in the US, but it's, they're, they're not really kind of major areas for us. Um, we are um, a fully remote business, always have been. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a kind of a COVID situation that kind of preempted that. It was more about the sort of people that I wanted to bring into the company in the way that I wanted to work and the way that I felt that I worked effectively. Uh, and that's kind of like stemmed through to, you know, to how we operate today. Um, and we're, you know, we're going places really. We've done some great stuff uh, in the past few years, um, you know, pivoting from doing like an agency rec to rec service, which is how we started to now doing HR and uh, people and talent um, and, you know, shifting that focus away from the agency world to, working with some really, really interesting brands and really interesting products worldwide. So, yeah, that's us. Love it. Guys, anyone listening, if you can hear a bit of drilling, and we've spoke, me and James have been chatting and laughing off, off screen, the uh, the new podcast studio and my new office is being built right now next to my house, and they're building it. So I'm going to be on mute when I'm not talking a little bit just to keep the sound accurate and good quality but look you know i record this remotely you know there's always going to be a there's an there's a chance an amazon guy's arriving or a dog's gonna bark it's just the modern way but anyway um so james thanks for that it's um i know you uh you, you you've been running the business for about 10 years yeah so let's go be, let's go back to before that so how did you get into recruitment because you, you started in rectorec right I, I did yeah um I, well kind of um so um it was never the plan to get into recruiting, which is probably a phrase you've heard many, many times over. Um, I wanted to be a football writer. I've always been a passionate football fan. Um, I, uh, I did well in, in, in school and at, uh, relatively well at uni, uh, progressively worse at uni as, you know, sorry, <laughs> a bit boring, uh, being a bit more social. Um, uh, but that was not really a route that was available to me because I hadn't really put any work into it. So. <laughs> Uh, I remember I actually went for an interview for a uh, like an internship for sports journalism, and they asked me whether I could bring along my portfolio, and I said I don't know what you mean. So yeah, couldn't uh, couldn't do that. Um, got to the point like kind of moving into London with my partner um, from uni, and needed to find a job. Um, I saw a uh, an advert for a recruiter role, you know, uncapped OTE, hundred grand in first year, classic recruiter. <laughs> we've all we've all seen him. Yeah. Uh, and a bit on it, I got the job. That was actually my first job in recruitment, which was a very, very small uh, startup recruitment business that focused on the betting and gaming kind of online market. Okay. Um, and I worked there for a short period, um, didn't really work out. Um, uh, I think I wasn't quite ready for the pace of it uh, yeah. coming straight out of uni. Um, so while I did pretty well, you know, some of the kind of, uh, I suppose, the culture of recruitment at that point, which was, you know, quite hardline in terms of punctuality in particular. I kind of struggle with it um, and found myself in a situation where I need to find something else. And actually, we were just looking through, I think at the times of Gumtree, and I saw an advert on Gumtree for a, you know, for a rec to rec job, applied for it, um, went and had the interview, um, which was a very, very small company called uh, Atlantic Exec Search. 
started there in I think kind of October, November 2007, uh, initially looking at kind of the exec search market, doing researcher placements. So with big search firms like Hodges and Norman Broadband, also um, kind of smaller boutiques as well. Um, that didn't really kind of sit with me and my personality. So the boss, uh, chap called Simon Healy, suggested that I look at IT rec to rec uh, and start to work with um, uh, SAP focused recruiting agencies on next ventures, rec commerce, um, as well as, you know, as uh, kind of like broader focused software engineer recruitment. You're keen to go right? for like bigger companies where you'd have consistent hiring. Not, not really. I mean, like the, the, the directive really from Simon was that you, yeah, you won't get much joy out of those bigger companies because the, the sexier companies tend to be the companies that are stemming out of those businesses where, you know, a good builder has gone and set something yeah. up, um, you know, better commission structures, you know, more flexibility, you know, cash rich, you know, kind of owner managed businesses, right? Um, so I did that for um, uh, for a few years um, and was pretty successful with it. And then obviously, kind of Before got into one. Just, just yeah. Rector X a funny one, I think. Like, it gets such a bad name. Yeah, it gets so much shit, which is ridiculous, really, because it is recruitment. Yeah. Anyway, what's the hardest thing about being a Rector X, especially in the early days? Like, when it comes to like managing candidates and stuff. Like, what's the biggest? Um, challenge? I think the biggest challenge that I found was like. As a, as a junior recruiter was, you know, it's very much like learning the trade, um, you know, as somebody who is very much kind of new to the industry, like I, over the course of my career, and I suppose kind of hindsight's a wonderful thing here. It's like, like how, like assessing your performance retrospectively, right? Uh, and how you used to operate. And, you know, the things that I got right kind of straight away, but there's loads of mistakes that I made, you know, recruiting recruiters earlier on in my career, just about I suppose kind of what kind of role to occupy with people. And especially when you're very junior, right? And you're trying to place people who are significantly more experienced in this than you are. That's that's the biggest thing, right? So the, as, I suppose for me, the biggest challenge was developing a level of credibility, right? And, and understanding what recruiters do in different marketplaces. Um, you know, the demands of, you know, uh, all, all, all necessities that somebody has to have as kind of personal kind of character traits within like contract recruitment versus permanent recruitment, um, understanding people's goals and kind of rationalizing them against your own kind of expectations of what you want to achieve for yourself. Because you're, you're dealing with people who do exactly the same thing as you do, right? So you're putting yourself out there for a significant amount of judgment kind of straight away because the barometer that your candidates are judging you by is themselves. Yeah, so, so they, think, they think they know more than you. Well, sometimes, but you know, some you know, it, well, certainly in some cases they actually do, right? Because yeah. um, you know, you're you're a six months experience rec to rec, and you're dealing with you know with, with a manager role uh, and trying to recruit people with you know seven, eight, nine, ten years experience, and it's like, well, to all, to all the sense of purposes, you could be my boss. And actually, one of the, like really interesting um, kind of uh, I suppose kind of key moments that I had like was when I was dealing with like a sales director role for um, uh, you know a, a, a another IT recruitment business. And I met a guy um, called Paul, um, uh, who you know, who's, who's a, a very, uh, very ex uh, experienced recruiting computer people, um, uh, which became part of the Adeco Group. And I remember that um, he said to me in like the candidate meeting over coffee, something about spin selling. And I, it was the first time that I was just like, I don't know what that is. And I, you know, I just said, look, like, what? Is, like, tell me, what is that? I was like, and I started to kind of get a bit more. Um, confident like calling myself out of not knowing stuff and actually leaning on the more senior people that I was working with to get advice um about you know how they've worked and what's been effective for them and understanding more about I suppose kind of like the technical aspects of recruiting rather than just you know I've got a job mate do you want to go and have a chat kind of thing which which a lot of rector to be fair and this is why 
I think a lot of Rex Rex do get a bad name. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, just have a chat with him. Let's see what let's see what happens, kind of thing. So I actually start to learn a bit more about how to be detailed and actually you negate your like relative juniority, if that's a word, by actually being more knowledgeable about a situation, therefore able to be a capable and credible advisor of specific opportunities for people that are vastly more senior than yourself. Yeah. That was definitely the biggest challenge, right? It's like getting credible with more senior and more experienced people. Yeah, but and you said that you were pretty successful in that role. So what what type of billings were you doing in it, would you say? <sighs> I mean, it, it took a while, right? Because we're doing that search to search thing first, right? And the fees, like the fee levels in search to search were relatively good, right? Because you place a researcher, you know, starting salary straight out of uni, like 45K sometimes, right? Uh, and usually we're on 25%, so that was all right. But to be fair, I, you know, I didn't really take to that market. I think in that first year, I think I probably did. And this is back in 2007, dealing with average fees of probably like four to 6K. I think I did about 88, 90K, mm. something like that. Simon will probably like post and on the comments bit i know you did about 50 mate actually but um yeah that that first year was relatively good um the first deal i did was like a 2k deal i remember getting absolutely rinsed by simon and julie working in the office about that's the lowest fee that we've ever done but you know well done let's go to the pub type situation um but yeah we move on um that that role finished um uh after basically after the the uh, global financial crisis really i kind of got a bit you know a bit itchy feet you know it's not really going anywhere and then I was approached by somebody to um, uh, to set up a, a rec to rec with them um, after being recommended by one of our clients, uh, one of the clients that I worked with. It was actually Darren um, Rosenfeld, Next Ventures, had suggested my uh, name to somebody that he used to work with as well who wanted to get into the rec to rec market. So I went in to do that for, um, I think, like back in the 2008, start 2009. Um, and kind of like reiterated the you know similar level of performance success. I mean, you know, not, not exactly blowing the doors off it when you build like 80k in a year, right? So you it's started not, your own. You started your own business. It wasn't my own business. It was someone starting their own business, and they had so they wanted someone to kind of help navigate right. and navigate that. And that was that was probably the first point where I thought I could probably do this on my own. How old um, are you then? Uh, I think I must have been about 25. Right. 24, 25. 25. You're basically in a startup anyway. Did you ever have any like entrepreneurial, you know, people in your life that were that, that were you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur? N- not really. Um, I mean, my parents were both teachers. Um, grandparents were, you know, I think my you know my granddad on my mom's side was you know, worked down a mine or something like that up in Sheffield, kind of you know around your neck of the woods. Um, so no one had really done anything. I would look back into kind of family history and stuff. I think somebody, you know, the, 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 one of our families used to own a wine, um, like a wine shop on uh, Haymarket in London, right. which was interesting. Um, never really got into that, but, you know, there you go. Uh, but yeah, no, no one had done, done anything like particularly commercial previously, but I'd always been, you know, maybe black sheep or kind of mole breaker within the kind of family situation. No one had ever really been into sport. I was well into sports school. Um, and I kind of preferred to do more active stuff than the academic type stuff. Yeah. Um, although I was very good at you know academic stuff as well, because got my mum to do my homework basically. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I just kind of the penny just dropped for me that as a, a predominantly permanent recruiter, yeah, you know, all that I needed was a bit of a cushion and my network. You're around for you're not like you're not driving contract revenue for yourself for later on, are you? Like you're not. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think if you've got the confidence. And you got the now, and you 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 know you can you you appreciate how to build and solidify networks. Then and and this is a bit a bit of advice for anybody perhaps who's thinking about setting up on their own, right? You've got to like one hundred percent. You've got to back yourself, right? 
but you can't just back yourself in terms of swagger. You've got to back yourself in terms of what you have in terms of the raw materials of building a business that sits behind you. And that's your network. Um, and that's your uh, financial capability to support yourself for, you know, six, seven, When you did this, though, around. with that guy, you would be on, you're on a salary, right? I was on a salary, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of had the best training ground, didn't you? Because you basically did a startup twice. You did the IT one for someone else. Yeah. You do it again. Yeah, and, but you're also being paid, so you're not taking the full risk. But that's when the penny drops. That actually, if I just took that away and I was on my own, yeah. I'd be making a little bit more. But that's why I took the opportunity, right? Because I thought it'd be good exposure, and I'd had like I'd had these, you know, these I suppose, kind of thoughts and like feelings about being able to do it on my own previously. But it was it, it was like an exercise of validation. I'd say probably that first half of my career, right until when I set up Odds and James ten years ago, that was all about validating a level of capability to do something on my own rather than you know being a career person uh, like a career employee um so yeah that was a good experience that you know that was about a year or so um and then the kind of like the real i suppose the really pivotal moment came uh for me in terms of like um expanding and increasing my level of capability and perhaps kind of self-belief as well which is that i went to a client meeting with a company called city tech which at the time um was a uh, a challenger uh, business within it recruiting for investment grant. Stephen grant isn't it yeah Stephen grant um who um who, who was what uh, was and continues to be a wonderful contact and, and an incredibly um kind guy um and um yeah i, I went in i met with a chap called james richmond uh, and ricky chawler um james was xs3 ricky was x uh, msb um uh both have been very very successful previously uh, and were now directors with city tech they had been brought in to kind of scale the business i went in to pick up some roles from them i came out with a job offer to go in work as their first ever internal recruiter which is something that i wasn't really looking for um but it just made a made a lot of sense right you know it was at the point where if you went to, like went to be an internal recruiter it basically meant you weren't very good at recruitment yeah, so yeah. i was a bit like really but you know they, yeah they, they got me a good package um and you know it, it felt like the right thing to do and actually um it was it was brilliant it was transformative in terms of level of capability and understanding of like actually how it works on the on the inside rather than just kind of pushing the cell um really like understanding how a business works really um appreciating the like the day-to-day -day challenges that the people that have been facing for the past three and a half years were facing within their recruiting careers right um and it was great as well because you know they'd never had anyone do that role previously so it was mine to kind of cultivate um and it was just at that kind of point where linkedin in particular was becoming like the prevalent tool for recruiting right and back then it was you know it was basically like an online classifies board yeah. right um you know you couldn't put um pictures on posts you couldn't put videos up it was just you know i've got a you job didn't yep. it, you didn't really think about it did you it was it was just it was a way of broadcasting your jobs and finding new people that was all it was basically yeah it's like connect like connecting me i remember like i had a, a thing at the bottom of your profile page where you could put like i'm open to opportunity basically all the features that they now expanded out into different products right yeah i'm open to opportunities potentially relocate you know blah, blah, interested in joining a pro bono group all that sort of stuff so you know put, put all that stuff down but you'd be like oh yeah send a message you had like 200 characters right so you're open to new opportunities shall we have a chat well, like put on the LinkedIn feed, like I've got a great role, 25k, 30% commission. Give me a short, like give me a call. Like in capital letters, people will notice it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I managed, I managed to kind of get like a, develop a way of kind of um, 
like owning that kind of LinkedIn, like that uh, kind of um, primitive version of LinkedIn uh, in terms of consistency of posting stuff that you like, you, you're, you're an expert in, right? But I managed to kind of get on top of that and make a regular kind of habit of posting, you know, and like um, tub thumping, banging the drum about, you know, joining City Tech, right? We've got this many PSLs. We, you know, we're growing here, here and here. We're, you know, we're going to expand to uh amsterdam singapore you know great opportunity blah, blah blah and it was it was a great way of like evangelizing about the business and it was through that experience that i got like the, i suppose kind of total validation that i could probably just do it on my own um so i did and yeah and that's where it all started so it was a long story no no it's fine so take us back to the what year was it and what did you do and to set the business up so I, I registered the business um, in, in 2011 and it was, you know, 2011 was a tough year for me because I lost my mum who uh, was, was a, you know, in, incredible, you know, as everyone's mum is, right, an incredible influence on me, right? She, you know, she raised me singularly from probably eight years old um, and, you know, she was always a very determined person. Uh, she would always push herself. She'd always go out of her way to help people uh, in a role as a teacher, but also, you know, in, in, in life in general. And losing her uh, kind of gave me a bit of a, like, I suppose, kind of profound sense of mortality. And like, you know, you've got to yeah. get, get shit done, right? So, it was, it was um, uh, so it was late in 2011. And actually, I'd just, I'd, I'd, the, the other, like, slightly bizarre kind of like catalyst in it, I'd just done a total rupture of my cruciate ligament. And I've been since Mumma passed away. I've been leaning into like exercise and playing football as a, like a, as an escape route, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't do it. And I was like, "What's going to really satisfy me now? Because I'm going to be not able to do stuff for you know nine months probably to come back from this um, you know this, this this injury." So I actually sat at work and I registered the company's house on a work computer. <laughs> um, but then it still it wasn't the right time to to. Well, to where does the name Aldous and James come from? Uh, that's my mum's maiden name, so everyone can get access to my bank account now. But um, I wanted to, um, uh, th that has been changed. But the, um, the I, want, I wanted to kind of get a piece of, of my mum into it. Um, you know, as it's a weird thing. So the semantics of a company name are, are you know, it's, it's quite a complex situation, especially when you see a lot of companies coming up with like really cool names, like Hoxo, for example, um, or, you know, something without a vowel in it. And, I, you know, I often look at the company and I think, oh, sound, we sound a bit old or like a legal firm or something like that. But, you know, hopefully the personality we try and inject in the business actually kind of makes up. It matters up. to you at the end of the day. It? It, well, that, well, that's it. It, it, it. it does matter to me. And I wanted to have that that presence because, you know, it was as a result of her passing that I did it. Um, and it's as a result of her influence that I think I'm all right at it, you know. So so so, so it's got it's got to stay there. Um so yeah, that's where it, that's where it comes from. Love so it. a lot, a lot of time when you actually did start, and what what was the? Were you at home? Were you in an office? Like what was it like? Um, so I, at, at the start, I was a mixture of at home and in an office. I had um, engineered a situation for myself where I had a silent partner um, who would pay me a salary that I would pay back incrementally over the course of the first year of the business. Yeah. Um, which again is something I'd recommend that people wanting to do stuff on their own should explore. You know, a friend, friend of a friend, somebody's got a bit of money. You know, like can you, you know, can you hook me up on a monthly basis for six months, and we'll, you know, I'll pay you back on a draw as billings like incrementally increase. So essentially, the situation was, was there a that profit element, like ten percent 
back or whatever. Exactly that. So it was, you know, it was a salary situation. Basically, I was on a, a high salary, right? But then um, a very high commission structure. So yeah. they would get a cut of the billings, right? As a, as like an investment partner, right? And then we'd, uh, we negotiated an, an exit um, point after a year where a degree of the profits would be shared. So I, I got myself a comfort blanket, which is great. I mean, I had a bit of a comfort bl blanket myself in terms of savings, um, but it, it, it was that greater level of security that I think was facilitated by having a silent partner and it had nothing to do with recruiting. Um, Being in an internal job as well, I imagine you wouldn't have had a non-compete that was very valid either because... No, it's fine. I mean, actually, I, I, I sought the blessing of, of Stephen Grant yeah. um, and, and Rob, uh, his, his business partner, to, to kind of go and do it. And when I left City Tech, you know, I, it, it was it was a really hard thing to do because I, I I loved working there. You know, what we'd done was was great. You know, the project had been fantastic. It was an exciting place to be. It's a crazy place to be. Um, but it was it was a hard decision to go because I felt like I could have stayed there probably probably another you know five ten years. Did they become a client of yours? Uh, they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so. That first kind of phase of, of or first iteration of Oldison James was very much focused on the agency market. Um, and the first clients that we worked with were City Tech, um, MP Group, yeah. um, Next Ventures. You know, it's like all the old kind of like usual suspects that I'd worked with previously, right? Morgan McKinley, um, Asprey Marsden, like, you know, McGregor Boyle, all, that, all those companies we, 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 uh, we were able to pick up relationships with as well. But I didn't want to rely, like, I wanted, I wanted this kind of, as much of a break as possible from that kind of previous situation. I think they did as well. They brought someone else in to do their internal recruitment. They, you know, they, they got a standard of like direct hiring at that point as well, which meant that they, um, yeah, they didn't really want to be leaning on agency so much. But it was, you know, it was a, it was a good connection to have. I wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to update you on what it is I actually do all day, apart from the Rag Podcast, of course. Now, most of you know from the episodes that I am the founder of Hoxo, right? What you probably don't know is that we're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies and over 4,000 of their recruiters around the world in every continent and helping these businesses brand themselves and the people in the company better. Now, we have built a creative team over the last six years that helps manage the creation of new agency brands. Obviously, the, a lot of the listeners in the RAG are starting their businesses uh, for the first time. But more often than not, we rebrand tired companies. So many businesses we work with are smashing it when it comes to revenue and performance, but their website and their online story was built back when they started for like 500 quid and it just does not represent who they are today. So we believe getting that right becomes your, building a brand becomes your anchor. Now, every good brand also needs traffic, right? You need people to see it, to come to the website, see you online, and that's where your people come in. So we work to either manage the personal brands of your team, or we can teach you how to build the brand yourselves. All of it is designed to give you consistency on LinkedIn that helps you stand out from the competition, show your personality, show and add value, and ultimately make more money. Now, I personally speak to potential new customers along with my business partner, Amma. So I would love to spend some time with you, my RAG listeners that I potentially don't even know yet. Any of you that are interested in building a brand that's fit for purpose in 2023 and beyond, come and speak to us. 
just click the link in the show notes, fill in the form, and we will be in touch with you within 48 hours to book a 30 minutes video call ASAP. Right, back to the show. What was your life like at that point? Like, obviously, you just lost your mum, which is tragic, and I'm really sorry to hear that. Were you with your partner living in a flat? Like, what was life like? Um, it was, it was, it was kind of a bit of a critical point, to be honest. Like, I got engaged in 2012, um, uh, been with my my partner Joe for, I think, ten years at that point, maybe eight, nine, ten years. Something like that. I hope she doesn't watch this. Um, but the um, uh, and we were getting married in 2013, right? Which when I started the business, and I had this sense of like um, uh, impending doom. No, I'm not, I'm not even messing. I had this sense of like, like I had, I had to get stuff done because I knew that we, you know, we'd, we'd want to have kids. I knew that um, we'd want to buy a house. You know, all that, all the like the grown-up stuff. We, we, we're going to get to that point of like adulting, right? Um, and um we were living in london um we were living in uh south west london i think kind of brixton earlsville tooting kind of area um but our life was changing right so you know we were planning we were getting married planning to have children relatively early and stuff like that so i had to get it done um setting up the business because i knew if we passed that precipice of like having kids and needing to do all that stuff then i would become so much more reliant on being employed rather than self-employment so yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to make a move at, at, at that point so working from a flat in london you know getting out there still meeting people um always made a point of meeting people um you know one of my managers early on in recruitment is like you have to smell them uh which was like my favorite comments like if you don't smell them you don't know them I'm yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of a weird thing to say mate but you know you get whiff on the way out yeah get whiff on the way out um, as you both walk to the same tube station, haven't said goodbye already, which is yeah, always an awful thing in London, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, we had to get it done. We were in, we, we, we were in the in, in a flat in in Southwest London, and you know, it was it was it was pressured, man. But it was it was good pressure, right? And especially when my first child came along, Lily Rose, uh, in June 2014, that was sooner than I thought it was going to be, right? Um, and you know, then your whole kind of like compass of responsibility changes, right? Because you've got you've got a kid, you've got a life that you need to look after. You've got a other half of maternity leave, and you've just made the biggest gamble of your career so far, right? So it was like it was a positive thing. It was a positive energy kind of to, to kind of push me towards trying to be more productive, trying to be more innovative, and actually kind of like you know, sometimes you need those kind of ex external forces to kind of provoke your. Um, uh, your your actions about how you like how you how you're doing stuff right and it, and, and it was right there in my face so yeah um, what in terms of trying to like and again i think this is a really important thing for people when they're starting up like did you have a like a, a big vision plan or were you just like looking at like the next 30 days and be like can i make money like, what was your mindset because i i was definitely the latter like i was didn't really look at the big picture i just went out and thought We've got to make some fucking money here. And I think it was like an instinctive thing. Yeah, it sounds it's very similar, right, to, to what you said. Like an instinct is like, I, like, I can do this. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. What I'm going to do, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to give it a shot. Like, that was, that was my whole kind of mentality around it. I didn't think, you know, probably even like two, three years ago, I didn't think that we would be, I know we're not a big company, but I didn't think we'd be seven people um, with plans to, you know, to, to, to get even bigger, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a really weird thing. So I, the, the the original reason why I did it 
was that I wanted, do you know what, being super honest, I've got lots of friends who run their own business, like not in recruiting, but in like plumbing or, you know, trades or whatever. Yeah. I kind of looked at them and I was like, I'd looked at them as like great examples of people who are kind of in, independent, right? You know, you go to your job, you finish it for, you know, you make some decent money and stuff. And that was a point where we're all kind of, you know, ostensibly single people, you know, obviously in relationships where we were single people in London. And it's like, I finished before, go to the pub. And I was like, that really appeals to me, right? Like, I'm, I, I want to do that. I'm late 20s, so live, living the life kind of thing. And it started off as a bit of kind of a selfish lifestyle exercise in a lot of respects, right? It's like, I want to make good money. I reckon I can make more money doing this than I was, you know, was. was How did it go? Did you actually do that? Did you manage to make yeah. money and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, not, yeah, not, not blowing the bloody doors off it, right? But you know, it's good, good money. I think the first year that we were in business and it was just me on my own, starting off in the, you know, in, in May, the financial year was probably like ninety k, right? Yeah. Um, but then that increased exponentially, kind of year well, yeah, on. Your overheads are so low. It's, it's a good, it's so good low. You'd have so to build. You have to build three, yeah. 300 in an agency, at least three, four, 400 to get that. Well, that, that's the thing as well. Like I'd, I'd always, in, in my previous roles, I'd always benefited from, thankfully, from um, from managers who, who trusted me. Uh, more for them, obviously. But they, um, they, uh, yeah, they trusted me to kind of get on with it in the way that I needed to get on with it. And that was often, you know, I, I was not, not in the office. I was yeah. going out and meeting people for a coffee, yeah. Um, uh, you know, taking people out for dinner after work and actually doing a lot of work because of the nature of recruiting recruiters, it's difficult to call a recruiter at their desk, right? <laughs> because, you know, then you've got, you know, Gary, the sales manager being like, who was that? Like, it's, it, it, it you, you can't do it. So I think there was an appreciation in my early career that I would probably do most of my work when I got home, right? And I did, yeah. you know, get home at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock and then, you know, two, three hours worth of calls. And then during the day, people, you know, colleagues would be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, Playing Roberto Baggio free kicks, but you know they go. I'll be working later, mate. Um, or, or go, or, or going off to meetings. But like, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was good start. Yeah, I did a question myself after the end of the first year a little bit. Like, is this the right thing to do? Definitely, I thought it was going to make. The, more. What, were the, what were the best bits and what were the worst bits of of that first year? Go, let's start with the good stuff. On oh, the first deal, getting the first deal in, it was like right, it's like gosh, I can do this. Don't need no database. Like, yeah, <laughs> good. What about the brand? Like, and and yeah, that that first that first kind of quarter where Did you go straight to the pub. Uh, I, I do you know I can't remember. Probably, it's a long time ago, mate. It's been a lot happened since, but yeah, I think so. Um, uh, but I remember just feeling so kind of vindicated. The first deal. Um, it was uh, it was actually it was bizarrely right for somebody who's done like IT rectorate. Um, for such a long time, it was it was in a pharma company, um, and that market was really kicking off at that point. Yeah, a company yeah. like Skills Alliance, ProClinical, um, and that was where we had a lot of joy, really, in terms of kind of long, like long term relationships. That that was great. But the, the the other thing was as well was actually the level of liberation I got from actually moving into looking at like a broader array of markets. So we'd done, you know, I'd always done like tech, right? But then I was looking yeah. at life sciences, pharma, I was looking at digital media, creative. Um, a little bit of accounting and finance, but I always find that a little bit boring, to be fair. But um, uh, but yeah, it was you know it was it was opening up the excitement of like opening up and like you know deploying your, your skills into different channels. That that was great, as well as you know I'm making money on my own steam here, right? You know this is this is good. This is you know being grown up. This is being responsible. You know, are you doing like an average of a deal a month or something like that over that year. 
I mean, I think that I think that yeah, I think it did 20, 25 placements, right? So it's probably like two about two deals a month, right? Two and a bit deals a month. And the billings were, you know, what, like 88, 90K, you know, factoring in that I think probably of those 25, we probably had like five dropout rebates type situation. So it could have been more. And um, the biggest challenge in that year, to be fair, was actually going on honeymoon for a month, which, you know, like interrupted it in like in, in mid flow. Um, so that's a really good point. You know, I mean, I've just had a, I went away to Dubai for a week and then my business partner went away for a week for his birthday. Yeah. You know, we're still, I've mentioned this on a few things recently, we're still very heavily involved in the sales front end. You know that. Mm -hmm. working. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, my job from May is to get out of that. Like, he's kicking me out. We're building a sales team. Like, we're finally going to, I'm finally not going to be responsible for, I will always drive revenue and I will, I will always sell, but I'm not going to be spending my 80% of my day doing it like I have been. Yeah, um, yeah. But momentum is so important when you are, when, when things depend on you, right? You go away, yeah. you have a good time, but fuck me it's like it's not like you come back in the day after and it all starts again like you genuinely, so there's so much but you and you look back at your best months and you're like i was there all month and i was there yeah. the month before <laughs> that's usually Maybe. the trigger is it worked, it worked really hard the month before and then it fucking paid off that month then you but get excited and go on holiday and it all starts again but it's the old adage isn't it like you know like the, the like the hot, going on holiday when you work in recruitment is the best sentence for anything you got going on right yeah, one hundred percent. And and I've you know I've been there for what sixteen years, and I completely agree with that statement. Like the ball gets dropped when you go away, right? Unless you hold the ball while you're away. So you know, I, that, and and that had its impact on me, right? Like going away on on holidays. I remember between probably 2013, 2016, 2017, like the first holidays we had with the kids. I used to have to say to my other half, "I'm I'm going to do the two hours of work today because I didn't want to drop the ball." I remember cl like closing deals by it sounds like. You know, you know, champagne and, and uh, Range Rovers type situation, like closing deals while I was like sitting at the side of the pool, you know, in the south of France. And, you know, that, that's great. And it's a bit of, oh, yeah, I did a deal with Frank while I was away on holiday. Like, great, you know, well done. But actually, yeah, there was an opportunity cost to that, which was that, you know, I, I wasn't spending time with the family. I wasn't, I wasn't relaxing. I wasn't switching off, right? But on the honeymoon, I had to do that, right? You know, it was do, a lot. Do you. Do you think that you'll always be like that, or do you think you'll be get to a point where you can actually? Yeah, I mean, the, the access point to exit that is is having a team that you can trust, um, and I've, that you know, I'm very very grateful and very fortunate to have that right now. I think this year I went to, I went to Egypt in February, um, and it was the first time. I think I, I think I took one call the whole week. Um, and that was with like, you know, obviously as a business owner, as a recruiter, you, there are certain situations you have, to, you have to deal with. And it was, you know, somebody having a massive wobble on a placement. So I was like, right, I've got to do this, you know, and, and I disappeared for probably 20 minutes, sort it out. But I could leave everything to the team. But also, you know, at the same time, you can leave everything to your clients, your candidates, and you build trusted relationships. And there's a respect there as well. You say, look, I'm, I'm going away on holiday. I'm really sorry that I can't contribute to the process. But I've ring-fenced this time for my family and for myself to, you know, to recharge the batteries, right? Uh, but it's the first time in 10 years that I've fully switched off on a holiday. And that, you know, that's that's amazing. Maybe that's just me, but I think... Was it so a better holiday or was it worse? <laughs> it, was amazing, it, was, it was amazing. Like, you know, just... just And, and, and the, yeah, the biggest thing about it, it was being with, like, being with the other half and with the kids and feeling like you deserved it, but actually giving them what they deserve from you as a yeah. father, as a husband... Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not holding myself as a paradigm of, of great kind of fatherhood or husbandry, 
but having that disconnection from your your work to really connect with your family is so important and actually how do you from- find that on a daily basis because i'll be honest like if you look you know more a bit about my story right going yeah. back two years ago i'm living on my own with a dog right yeah you know going back three years ago what date are we on now yeah so i'm one three years ago i'm living with my ex-wife breaking up mm. then i'm on my own then i get back with my ex from years ago and then we're dating from afar and i'm living and i've got the best of both worlds in a way i've got a relationship that's budding and it's brilliant but i'm living in manchester i'm on my own i've got a dog yeah and i remember back then i was able to contribute to the business whenever the fuck i wanted like i could jump yeah. on at 7 a.m and do a call in australia with no guilt and i could do it equally at night with new zealand or with the u.s and no, with, again with no guilt i remember closing yeah. deals at 11 o'clock in the u.s in my flat in manchester and not giving a shit right and then then I, I moved in with my wife and kids, similar age to your kids, and everything changed. And I don't think I changed with it for very quickly. Like I didn't mm. really get that I couldn't do certain things when I wanted mm. to do it. Or mm. I could, but I had to at least prepare people. I had to talk about it. I had to be open. I'd be like, you know, I wouldn't even tell my wife, oh, by the way, yeah, I'm, I'm on a call now. It'd be like yeah. 6.45 a.m. Yeah. So I've got that wrong. I know I have. And... I'm still playing that judge now. And I think that's one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to coming out of sales so much is more, I don't think those times in the morning and the evening will be interrupted as much because I will get shit done in the day. Whereas when you're selling all day and then you've got projects, you have to, or you've got international clients, you have to do it. So what, again, we're talking about a 10 year journey here. Yeah. From not having kids to having kids, but what, how have you found that? And what's your, I think the really, I think the most challenging part, right, is actually is communicating, like, what, yeah, communicating about your the, the complexities of of your your work, your appointments, and you know the thing like things things can change like on on the you know turn of a sixpence, right? You know, in in recruiting, and you know that's not being like oh yeah, recruit so fast paced and ever changing, but it is, right? You know, what one one message, one email can you know can change the whole day, right? Um, do you know what? Do you know what as well? Sorry to interrupt. I'll let you. Finish. No but the one email, one text can not just change everything about your day. It can change your mindset. Totally. So you can read an email at six forty-five a.m. Uh, getting out of bed in a, previously in a good mood, and then you've just realized. Yeah, <laughs> and then you've got to go down for breakfast, and yeah. you've got to put a face on. Like, how do you cope with things like that? Um, I try and avoid my phone till nine. Right, that's, um, that's, a, that's a great tactic. I try, I try my best, unless you know, like cracking on with you know the football manager game that I left on the side <laughs> when I fell asleep the, the night before. But they, um, what about yeah, interviews avoid... in the morning and stuff? Do you check? Um, I usually check the night before. Um, I mean, it, it, it differs really. It depends on how busy you are at whatever time. It's been a challenging time for, for for our market in the past year or so. So it's not as intense, like. And um, in, in the best year we ever posted, you know, everything went out the window, like um, because we were smaller then um, and it was just insanely busy. So, yeah, I would pick up and I would carry emotion from processors working with from, you know, emails that are coming late at night, like or, you know, or, or first thing I can't, can't go to the interview or I'm going to accept another offer or, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really hard. You like you. You, you can't be a robot about it. Like you get emotionally invested in processes, right? With the people, with the client, you know, with the journey that the client's going to go on and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like if you don't, if you don't wear it, you can't sell it, right? Like you have to be involved 
both sides of the process invested in your candidates invested in your clients and when you hear when the, when there are bumps in those roads it's really difficult to manage right and you know especially when you come downstairs and you know there's cheerios all over the floor you know the pat lunches aren't ready that you should have done last night um you know what, what, what kids kids won't find but can't find their shoes like a standard thing where, where are your shoes like you get your shoes on um and it, and it becomes very difficult not to let that it's it's like a case of like com basic compartmentalizing your emotional responses to work away from your home life, and it's really hard. Because yeah, you could be so much shorter with your kids if you're in a bad. Absolutely, like, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. But what, what, one thing that's been really good about that for me, and it sounds really basic, is actually being in here now, right in the in the in the office. It used to be our garage, right, and obviously you're getting some fun at the moment. Yeah, I worked for years in the house. I never had an office. Um, I was in it was in the house, and it was all going around me. Um, and I was able to cope with it when they were little babies, but now they've, you know, now they're older and they've got opinions and, you know, they're, they're very demanding in terms of me wanting to show them uh, what it takes to be incredibly good at computer games. Then, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's the way that works. I get it. I'm, I'm currently like in my, this is my nursery soon for the baby and it's, it's in the house. Right. And what they're yeah. doing out there now is the office, but I, I can't stop working at four o'clock because you lot are home. Like I'll, I can, but I don't want to. And it's not how my business has been built. And it's not how I'm wired, right? So to me, it's yeah. six o'clock is probably finish time in my head. It's what I was drilled into at recruitment. That's yeah, but how often do you finish at six? Now, I probably I probably do finish earlier and then I'll go back to it later. Like I, I, I find between four and six is almost impossible because the, the noise level and the, you know, the stuff that's going on. And then my wife will like, well, tea's ready at five. And I'm like, well, fucking hell, like eating five or what we're doing at five but then i'm like well but then i'm like it's my own fucking business if i want to eat at five i'll eat at five and then, honestly... and then i'll jump back on later so i'm i've kind of lost the time of finishing now but then then i have to explain why i'm going back on my laptop later and it's just this kind of like merry-go-round which i'm learning. i know right that's that's the hardest part for, for, for me. I mean, especially the the, the other the, the other half she's a nurse right and she and um, so she has a very structured day uh, with appointments, you know, certain times and stuff, and like, yes, there are there are knee-jerk moments in that in that situation, of course, right? Emergency moments in that situation, but it's very parameter and it's very section. So what where, where we find that we sometimes clash because of the difference in kind of focus of, of what we do and and you know the very kind of landscape of what we do is where you know I'm like I've got to jump on this call now, like right now, and like it can't wait. You know, it's not it, it doesn't work that way. It's a very um, uh, fluid like career to work in recruiting like you've got to be on the ball and you've got to respond to stuff especially like you know in like crazy market we had like 21 22 um you know when we were getting business you know it was coming out of our ears right and you know you want to convert you want to get onto it quickly like and that's it because if you don't someone else will that's it like, i've had clients who i've missed by 20 minutes and they say oh we reached out to someone else yeah. So great, you know, thanks for that. You know, it's like you know, you you as those clothes here when it's Tesco's, like on Asda, more waitress. But the um uh, the but yeah, it's it, it's hard. But the, the the key to it, and I'm still getting this right, is is communicating. Like every morning at the moment, I share like I do a print screen of diary and share it with mother half. I mean, by ten o'clock, it's usually changed like dramatically. But keeping like keep keeping uh, updates and stuff, and then it then it allows you to ring fence time. Where you say, okay, cool. Well, I can you know, spend some time with the kids. I can build some Lego. I can draw some pictures. You know, I can play football in the garden, whatever. Um, it tends to work well. Yeah, I think because I missed out on the earlier years with them. 
and I only came in at like six and eight or six, seven and eight. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if I, I, you know, I think I feel like, and I might be wrong. I feel like I'd have been more like gradual with it. Whereas yeah. I, went from, yeah. I went from zero to like, it's there every day in my life in the morning at night. And it was like, it was really difficult for me. Yeah. Um, but now I love it. Now I'm embracing it. And obviously I've got my own coming. It's going to be another challenge. There's going to be, you know, the whole sleepless night thing I've never dealt with, which is going to be fucking fun. You love a night feed, um, mate. It's brilliant. The, <laughs> the, um, the, the thing is, well, I, I can completely empathize that situation because it's something that I've had to change relatively recently. Um, and I think when you are, um, you know, whether you, you're male, female or, or, or whatever, like when you are an entrepreneurially spirited person, it's very, very hard to take the blinkers off. Um, and get away from what you are trying to achieve, even when you don't even know what, what, what that is, right? It's like, I've got to do this. And you've kind of like, you, you've got this compulsion to focusing on making things of, of the, like, go well or, or go right. Um, so it, it's very, very difficult to, 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 to make, make that transition to, um, you know, to kind of understanding like how it affects that side of things, right? I actually um, really enjoy it as well. Like, that was one thing I had to say to my wife last month was like, I'm working a lot at the minute. There's a couple of things I'm doing. I'm trying to replace myself in the team. So I'm trying to build yeah. the processes. I'm trying to hit numbers because we've been away. Like there's stuff we need to do. Um, but I'm, I'll be also, I, I really, I'm enjoying it by the way. Like I'm not doing this begrudgingly. I'm not sat in my mm -hmm. office pulling my hair out going fucking hell. I wish I was, I'm actually enjoying it. Like I, 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 put, I don't know about you, but personally when I'm at my desk and I'm in, I'm in the flow and I'm chatting to my clients, I'm chatting to my team and, Mm. I love it. I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm being forced to work. I feel like I'm choosing no. to work, and that I think for some people that that's quite hard to get their head around as well. For if they are yeah. like, doing a I, job where they're not particularly as happy or whatever, it's, it's tough, tough. I think I would say that my work's got better since I learned to compartmentalize things. Mm. Like, and it and it became less free form. Like, oh, I've got to set this call half seven at nine. You know, I need to be like, for example, when I was trying to do stuff in America. I was picking up stuff east coast west coast the west coast stuff i you know it took me about three three months to realize like this is just not good for me no. like being on the phone at like 11 o'clock at night 12 o'clock like 12 midnight trying to be competing and like you know um sell to people right persuade people to make a move or to use us as a, as a supplier it's just like what am i doing this is absolutely mental like yeah. you know you you you've got to make sacrifice in terms of your ambition but also if you sacrifice that area or compromise that area where you are focused on work you got to make sure that you're fully focused on work at that point, but you will work better in those times if you if you segment personal from professional. So let's let's go back to the journey then. So yeah. you, obviously it was just you ten years ago, and there's a team now, and mm -hmm. you were pretty open that you didn't have a plan. So you're billing, you, and and your life in those first few years was marriage chaos, man. Starting the baby life, starting being a father. Yeah. So when do you think it got to a point where, or when did it get to a point when you started to think, I need to hire now? Like this isn't just about me going being a self-employed recruiter. It's yeah, that was it. Was probably about eighteen months in, right? And I think it was it was bred from from a level of um, kind of client demand or opportunity, right? You know, rec, rec to rec is yeah, it's, it's the kind of market that makes you think you're a god at business development. You know, because everybody, every, all the recruitment companies, they want to hire a recruiter. If you've got a good recruiter, you can make a placement. I simple as that, and and it's easy. Therefore, as long as you come across as a credible person who's going to represent their business, you know, it's it's kind of like a, it's a, a game for anyone, right? Yeah. Um, 
so so we got a lot of stuff actually the, the, i suppose the critical thing on the, on the work side was that we started to get like relatively large volume projects where companies were wanting to grow by 10 15 people in a six month period and mm. um, particularly within like the pharmaceutical market and um, where we you know we made some really really good inroads there so i was like right i need to get someone else in to support me and um, you know because home life was, was challenging with with our kids um and work you know was getting busier so actually the first two hires that i made uh, they didn't really work out um you know the, the fair play to the, the chaps that i hired they they worked hard i don't think i was ready to be a manager at that point um you know it would and it became i think it was probably as difficult for them as it was for me in terms of that situation it also was a bit of a lesson in not hiring people who you are mates with um necessarily like um uh, because we, you know, we used to meet up in in London and you know sit sit down for a coffee, basically be those guys with like a laptop in you know a coffee shop somewhere for the whole day, and we just don't talk about football or you know what what what's good on Netflix that kind of thing, right? And not really too much work. So like, so that, it didn't really work out. And then I brought Kelly on, um, uh, and it was a kind of case of third time lucky, really. Kelly Wade, she was previously the internal recruit of Premier Group. Um, who are a pretty successful uh, yeah, yeah. and, and, and um, uh, design recruitment agency. And she was recommended to me by a couple of candidates that I pulled out of a premier group. And she, you know, she came in, she made an instant impact. She, she was very, very good with um, entry level hires as well as experience. Um, and it was me and Kelly for a good couple of years. Um, and she um, and, and we, in terms of performance, we continue to increase. And I think you know, I'm looking at notes here: we went 30 placements, 38 placements, 50 placements, a little bit to 42, back to 53, 82, you know, onwards and onwards. And she and she she's been great. She's been incredibly loyal. Um, she um, she pushes back on me. Um, she calls me out on stuff, which is great. She's been on two maternity leaves now, and she's now come back into the business starter this year um and you know and 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 is doing like a hybrid like internal operations and kind of external facing role. Is, is she living live near you like you are you meeting up regularly that kind of thing um well we're out in norfolk now so um actually it's not too far to where she is in in essex i think it's about an hour 20 something like that and um, driving so yeah we do meet up when we can um you know but yeah it i mean we're all we're all remote so what we've got kelly's in essex samantha's in um uh, southeast london em's in southeast london paddy's in um cool and interesting parts of east london uh he's actually working out in barcelona at the moment he's done some time uh, working out in south africa over christmas nice. as well so um gabriella's in uh north london um i mean yeah we're, we're all kind of spread out we do try and meet up as as much as possible but going back to what I was saying, I mean, Kelly, Kelly came and that was, that was, I think, you know, credit to her for, you know, sticking with me. And she's been in the company for probably eight years now, I think seven or eight years. Um, and she, you know, she's, she's seen me at my best, she's seen me at my worst. Um, the, business and, the business is obviously catered for what she wanted, otherwise she wouldn't be there. Right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, she, she, she's, 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 she, she's, she's been off on two maternity leaves, which she tried, we've tried our best to support her in, in, in those situations. Um, and, you know, I think that's been really appreciated from her side, but it, you know, it, it provided something for her as a, as a, you know, as a, a first time and then second time mom and a young mother at that to, you know, to have the flexibility to do that. And that's what I genuinely believe businesses should be doing is, is, is allowing people to work in the way that they are most effective. Right. And like, yeah, you can push people and you can try and accelerate people's development, but actually the best way to do that is to give them what they need. 
Um, and she's, you know, I, I, I stand by that. I think she's had that from, from us here and, she, and it's enabled her to be successful and, uh, and build a career really. Um, what, what, at what point did you start moving out of just solely rec to rec and why? Um, I mean, it's something that we wanted to do for a little while. I think it was a mixture of kind of getting a bit tired of agency rec to rec. I think it's a bit of a young person's game, to be honest. Um, although, you know, feel free to, you know, to kind of con contest that. Um, but also, you know, I, 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 I had this kind of like feeling of momentum in my, in my network of, you know, people getting older, um, more in-house roles um, coming uh, or, or becoming more prevalent or more available. You know, in the last 10 years, we've seen a big, big shift in terms of the quality of, of in-house recruitment teams. And I say that with a great respect to people who did in-house recruiting prior to that. But it, it strikes me that in-house recruiting is a relatively new phenomenon, uh, phenomenon right? Uh, talent acquisition teams, especially at the scale that, we, that we've seen them. But it made sense to us from a commercial perspective because that's where our network was in terms of its level of maturity. Um, and we got a, uh, we've done a couple of bits and bobs in-house previously, but we got a breakthrough um, with, um, God, who was it? So we, it was kind of commensurate at the same time. Um, we got a breakthrough with an RPO, like an embedded RPO. Um, which was Seed. Uh, we were a wonderful yeah. business, um, uh, and sit in that kind of group of you know Seed, Talent Four, Elements, um, Scout, you know, embedded talent agencies. Kind of RPO yeah. 3.0 is what I used to used to refer to them as. Um, so we've got a subscribe model with them, and then kind of viral osmosis of moving towards that kind of um, uh, that kind of uh, pseudo in-house type situation. Then it started to breed more in-house opportunities um, and we got roles with this kind of 2018 2017 time and we got roles with um, a couple of betting and gaming companies we got roles with babylon health we got roles with um discovery uh communications and um, we got roles. i mean it, they, it just started to come um and you know, it came via referral. It came via, you know, people that we placed or I placed previously, you know, five, six years before now being like talent acquisition leaders. Um, and it just, it kind of just happened, but it, we kind of wanted it to happen. So it was like by accident and design at the same time. And did that um, generate, was that a different business way of working then? Like bigger fees? Um, like yeah, yeah. Was it different processes? Like, well, yeah, I mean, it was more, more commercially viable, right? You know, when, when you're placing an agency recruiter, your volume comes at that kind of 25 to 40k level and you're looking mm -hmm. at probably 18 to 22 percent fees right 20 percent average fee um so it, it, it it's lower and like when if you metric in-house salaries over the past like five years you'll see that the average like entry level role for somebody moved from agency to in-house you're looking at like 35 40k right um and then you know upwards to like a head of talent type role uh, in uh, early stage company like a C to a Series C, look at a ninety to one twenty, generally mm -hmm. speaking, right? And that that market fluctuated in in the kind of overheat market twenty one twenty two post COVID. Um, but um, but yeah, it just made a lot a lot more sense. Like there was, there was more output um, from you know from the deals that you were placing, um, and I think we hit it at the right point um, as well, which which is great. It's like when it, they when it really started to hot up of. You know, we were having conversations for roles in agency with people, and they were like, "Oh, you know, we've got anything in house." And it was like seven out of every ten conversations. Well, I was always think, I always thought that I was like, there must be more people at the experienced recruiter level. There must be more people wanting to do that than actually move agencies. Because yeah, again, I'm I'm giving you a really simplistic personal view, but like when I was 
filling big in contract. Like you weren't moving me. Like there's just no way you yeah. were moving me because I'm. Why am I fucking leaving? Like my, I'm. The only reason I'd have left is if I'd have fallen out with someone. And I was like, exactly. And and you're kind of sharking around as a rector, right? For you know, particularly contract recruits. Like, have you, you know, have you been pissed off? Have you been punched at Christmas yeah. party? You know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing, right? And because as a contract recruit, you're completely married to your ledger, right? Simple yeah. as that. So you're pulling perm people, um, you know, who are maybe underperforming, you know, have fallen out with someone, you know, commission structures being changed, stuff like that. Yeah, and the, and the, the, the different dynamic comes when, you know, you're working with like um, innovative, disruptive early stage companies or big brands where you you can maneuver your, your pitch to being, it's not about, you know, this company has a great commission structure or this company, you know, they're going to Marbella for their, yeah, their, yeah. their, their incentive trip and they're going to pay for you five stars and you, you know, meet 50 cent and have a great time. But like, they, they, <laughs> can we do that? Can we still do that? I, really, I want to do like I heard stories, but that's, <laughs> I mean, I've heard a lot of stories. I'm sure you have too, but the, um, but yeah, it, 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 becomes, it becomes like a more product oriented sell, right? Where it's like, do you want to work for a company that is changing the way that, you know, we deliver healthcare? you want to work for a company that is revolutionizing like cross-border payments do like and it becomes more exciting right like how do you feel about you know being um being a, a, a hugely significant catalyst in growing this great product this great software this great service rather than you know do you want to be selling you know five or six different opportunities trying to overpopulate candidates with, with roles for the sake of getting a deal, like where, where's the validity of the contribution? The validity of the contribution for an in-house recruiter is you're scaling a company, right? And that company can impact lives, right? Like the, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not an in-house zealot at all, right? But I think the, you know, the, 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 there comes a point in people's recruiting careers where you've got to consider what you're actually doing. You did it and then went back out, really. Like you could have stayed in-house and you could have gone in-house for one of these tech companies or whatever. You could have done that. Yeah. I mean, look, who knows what the future holds. I, I you know, I place people in roles and I think, oh, I'd love to do that. Like, but, it, you know, it, life's taken me on a, on a different path. But like, I think, I mean, the, the, the pivot was... You know, it, it was well timed in terms of the market. Um, it? It was, I think, like I say, it's like 2017, uh, 2018, right. and it really got a place 2019. Um, and that was reflected COVID, in. Did COVID bring you to a standstill with the fact that? Um, it was it was bad. That was, but that was, I mean, we we almost, for a number of reasons, we almost run to the wire in, in, in COVID. Um, some of them personal, some of them circumstantial to the business, right? And that was, that was the hardest, the hardest part for me in this entire 10 years of running the business, right? So we went into 2020 on the back of our best year ever, um, which was, you know, was a respectable kind of circa 400k business between uh, Kelly and, and me, right? Um, and then uh, COVID hit and um, like I say, a variety of factors conspired to make it a very, very difficult year, like COVID being one of them, roles were pulled, um, you know, the momentum that we'd had in terms of, you know, delivering to really exciting clients, uh, global brands and, and, and exciting and interesting startups just all stopped. Um, and we did, you know, we did the worst quarter we'd ever done for a long time, which is like 20K um, in, the, in that COVID course, like April, like Q1 financial yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was forced into a situation where I had to go back to looking at agency stuff. 
um, which was fine, you know, because we had some really good relationships. It wasn't that long, long since we did it, but I Where felt people still hiring you. Oh, mate, I felt I felt in a situation where it was like I I felt like a bit of kind of cap in hand idiot. Like you know, oh, I thought you I thought you'd buggered off to go and do in house recruiting, like you know, working for the enemy kind of situation. Mm. Um, but you know, thankfully other people didn't think that way, and 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 they were happy to use us, and we, we yeah we got back on track with. Uh, with some uh, agency deals, um, with again within pharma and life sciences, which you know global pandemic, where do you go for business? Um, and you know, and and it, and it slowly got back on track. But that six month period was really really difficult, right? Because it coincided with me actually realizing I had a really quite severe gambling addiction at that point, really? uh, and it had been developing for a long time. Which is why we got close to a situation. You said gambling addiction. Tell us a bit yeah. more. Like, what were you doing? Yeah. So. And again, this is, I suppose, one of the toxic associations with, you know, a lifetime of being madly in, into football and sport yeah. is that probably like early 2000, probably like when I was at uni, I got into wagering and wagering on football. Oh, you wagering football. Yeah. You're sorry? You mean just putting bets on or? Putting bets on, yeah. So like going to bookies with, with, with mates, you know, um, uh, free afternoon and spending the bookies. Go to horse races you know like all these things which you know which could be financially beneficial and i, I didn't do it from like a kind of like a pulse that i want to i want to be a person that is known as you know as, as a gambler kind of thing right um i did it because i thought i knew thought i knew about football like you know that they're going to win that game you know that or, or, or and then it starts getting the horse racing that horse is going to win that I read a racing post and that sort of stuff but I, I only I only really ever got into it to make money yeah. um, and and it wasn't for the thrill of it like obviously it's great when you win a bet right and you know it, it that, that's a great it's like doing a deal you know you put a, put a decent amount of money on and you get a great return right um but I did it and I was stupidly doing it because I thought I could get rich from betting like oh, yeah. that yeah one idiot and then uh, then then I uh, then then it, that that kind of um bled into like investing in shares stuff like that crypto and in, in stocks and stuff like that but all of my behaviors around it had been uh like get rich quick type yeah. situation so big like lumping big sums and i mean i probably the biggest ever put anything probably about five six grand on a bet and uh you're sorry what type of bet would you put on a horse oh my god on a horse, on one horse. cheltenham yeah. Did it win? It came in. <laughs> came what in. did you get? I oh, about 30k. Yeah, so that's probably the worst thing you can do, isn't it? Worst thing you can do, mate. It was and, and that 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 happened in 2017. Um at the same time, you know, I'd, I'd been investing investing in crypto, right? And then there's like that crypto run in 2017. Um, and I'd uh, I'd been told actually by a, a, a previous colleague in recruiting who was recruiting for blockchain and crypto companies. He said, "You want to, you know?" I said, "Look, you know, this crypto thing, like, you know, tell me about it." And he said, um, "He's like, you want to, you want to put some money into this thing called Ripple, XRP Ripple." That's what my brother did that, and he lost it all pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, but I did, and I bought it. It was really, really cheap. Mm. It's like three cents or something like that. It's kind of like February, March, like 2017. Nothing happened with it. I literally check it every day on like eToro. 
and they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's gone up by a cent. Great, I've made like $25 or something, you know, wonderful. And then Christmas, kind of New Year 2017, there was like a massive like bull run on crypto and it went crazy. And I and I made like 30, 40,000, 50,000, something like that. It was ridiculous. And I was, I was away with friends, like on a New Year's like holiday type thing. And I just remember like looking at this money just go up. And I was like, oh, just leave it, leave it. And people were like, cash it out, cash it out, cash it out, cash it out. And I finally did. And then we got a, a, a wonderful amount of money. But it gave me a false sense of what I was actually losing. Like those big wins, like the Cheltenham win. And, you know, get, make loads of money on Rimple. Like, it was great. And everyone's kind of patting you back. Oh, you know, what, what a great lad. But actually, what I'm not telling them is that, you know, I've lost, four, like, lost 400 quid on, you know, that Liverpool game or that, you know, random game in Singapore or, you know. And all those adverts that are out now about betting, I'm like 100%. Yeah, feel it. You know, I hate seeing betting adverts on the TV. But you know, when the what's that thing where it's like talk to Frank? Is that oh, so was that the uh, drugs one? Um, oh, yeah, it's talk to Frank about like betting, where it's like, do you really need to bet on like you know the Thailand under 20s against you know Malta? Under you were doing that, like waking up and looking at oh, makes stupid. And and in in COVID, because because we're so bored. I was doing that. There's no, there's no recruiting to do. You know, what do you do in lockdown? Quizzes, um, barbecues, because the weather was really nice, like dr like home drinking. And, you know, there was like, I was trying to find whatever sport was on to bet on it. And that's when I started to realize that's a big problem because, you know, you, spend, on, and you were spending your funds as well. Like, you were spending my funds, but, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was spending my funds, but also I was seeking out opportunity. It wasn't like, you know, let's do an accumulator of the weekend, lads, kind of thing. It was more, you know, toxic, like betting, like, and I had to go through a period where I thought we were, we were going to go under here to actually accept that I had that situation. Did your wife realize what the severity of it? Um, no, I had to tell her, um, she basically, I lost, I lost a lot of money in a single day and I, uh, I, I was like ashen face like two weeks, difficult to live how, with. How much did you lose? Uh, fifty thousand dollars. Wow, on Bitcoin. Fuck yeah. Um, so lessons learned there. Don't leverage trade. Um, and you know, don't. The other thing is, don't try and trade crypto when you are standing in a uh, forest activity center with your children, meant to be actually spending time with them, instead of just buggering off to pretend you're getting a coffee or taking a work work call and you know using Binance to leverage trade because the connection wasn't good enough. But yeah, I'm not blaming that. But like you know, I, I it, it it knocked me hard. I watched it. Must have took your eye off the ball in the job as well. Like when you're, yeah, because when you, because you're making money, and you think, oh yeah, you know, I don't need to do that. You know, I had these kind of like grand ideas of being a kind of career investor, being like, oh yeah, what you know, you know, pri like pri like a private investor type thing. Not for other clients, but I put some money on that. You want to buy copper at the moment because it's going to go up. Like you know, you, yeah, you hear these stories about people. I've just been an idiot, you know. Because actually, and this is the thing that I learned, right? The best way to make money is get your head down and work. Get like get the fuck on with it, right? Yeah. Don't think about like these different schemes, different investments, stuff like that. If you want to do them, do them, but be sensible with it, right? But for me, the best thing that that came out of it was I realised. So what a, happened? Then? You told your wife about fifty grand with your tail between your legs which must have been really really difficult. yeah she's like what is up and i was like, i've got something to tell you i told her 
um and she's like is that it and i was like well no you know mm -hmm. there's there's a lot more over the past few years and she's like so what's the situation is like well i need to get my fucking head down here i had to tell my family I had to tell friends you know i had to be really open about it if i was going to be able to get better for i had to see the doctor um and you know it was it was a huge wake-up call man just in terms of like how i live my life but then it was also a huge wake-up call for me as to how i run my business um and where my focus and my priorities need to lie and it, so when, yeah. you, when you can you remember what month that was was it 2020 or early 20 september 2020 right so yeah. you're right in the heart of the you come coming yeah. out of the first lockdown but going back into a second pretty shortly after exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The market was the market was getting better then wasn't it it was, it was getting better yeah and we unlock luckily for me you know and I, i'm eternally grateful to the clients that i work with at that point um you know little did they know the kind of situation that i was in like that you know not only the loss of the the funds but the loss of like confidence in myself and you know uh the belief around you know what like, who i was and what i was doing the right thing and I had to completely reset myself in terms of like what my priorities and what my goals were, um, which I did. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm proud of myself. Right. I, I got it right. I don't bet anymore. I don't go anywhere near it uh, in terms of, you know, thinking about it. Stuff. Was it cold uh, turkey though? Or did you, did you have to like slow it down or? Uh, it was, you know, it's cold, full cold turkey. Um, I took, uh, what remained of like any investments out of you know out of like funds and stuff like that I closed down all my accounts contacted all the you know bet 365 skybet you know all, all of the uh, paddy power all of them that I was um that I was using and so can you delete my account and deny me access um it was yeah it was it was a, a, a big one I like, have I been to the horse races since yeah have. don't bet though go I go for the I go for the crack right um uh, and I've been in casino since uh when the casino stank the with my mates and I went straight to the set. I, you know, I'm a recovered gambling addict. Now, are you sure you want to be here so I can handle it? Um, and then she sat with me at the bar the whole time. <laughs> the manager's like, don't go near the tables. Here's another drink. Here's another drink. Mad, so, As a recruitment organization, running payroll can be hard. Between pressure from worker volume and client demands, plus the compliance risks and time lost to manual process back office teams, it's all a struggle. To help Vincere, our sponsor, have teamed up with FastTrack to offer a seamless integration for recruitment and staffing organizations, enabling better workflow between the front and back office. This new integration automates time and pay interpretation with a built-in comprehensive rules engine that can interpret complex awards and agreements across Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. The results are startling. You can reduce admin in your organization by 85%. You can lower your per cost timesheet and get paid faster. So revolutionize your back office processes with the Vincere and Fast Track integration. Learn more at vincere.io forward slash rag. Right, let's get back into the show. Yeah. It's one of them. I mean, my my dad is like a, he's addicted, but not in a way, I think he's like a safe addiction. Like he spends, again, I don't know the, the full story, but yeah. I know he, he's a daily, like every day I'll have something on. And he, we're talking like a couple of quid. I know that because he doesn't have an income. Like his, yeah. wife, his wife is the breadwinner and he's he's on his pension and he wouldn't have the money to spend. Like he just wouldn't have it. But I think he's always got, he always makes enough through his winnings that he's always got a bit more to spend than you probably realize. A bit of money. Yeah. Without, I mean, it's, it's betting money. I think it's, he's not bothered about the beers. It's just keep, but the funny thing was growing up, 
I only saw my dad on a Saturday, and you know he knows the whole of Manchester by 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 bookies. Everywhere yeah. you go, you'd be like, oh yeah, there's a there's a Ladbrokes there, and there's a, oh, yeah, there's, a, there's a Willie Hill there, and and it was a, we'd spend all day Saturday running errands and doing things, but we'd always stop off at bookies. I mean, like on the hour, pretty much, because yeah, yeah. race. But, and I I fucking hated waiting outside. I hated it, like to the point where I used to complain so much. And then I got to an age where I could go in. And I had a little bit of it, like, you know, what is he actually doing in it? And I remember thinking, this is boring as fuck. Like, I, I really didn't feel it. So yeah, I'm actually grateful for that because it's never been something. I mean, I've the odd bloody accumulate. I'm talking about five times in my life. I've been to, yeah, yeah. I'll, I might put a few few quid on at the races, like 50 quid or something. But I am not, I know I'm not interested in that game. And I got burnt badly with 20 grand on Bitcoin in 2017. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, I'm out of that. I'm not interested. But I can see... I've watched him and I can see it is something that can grip you, right? And it can become... There are people you could deal with it, right? I just couldn't. I've never been addicted to anything in my life. You know, booze, um, you know, other other stuff, you know, like fags even. Uh, not like I smoked, but I, was, I wasn't addicted to it. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, just something that I did, right? And um, But gambling, yeah, completely like hamstrung me. Um, but the positive slant on that is that 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 whole experience just made me it made me better it made me a better person it made me more professional it made me more focused on what i'm doing it made me get get perspective and um, and it's from that point that i think that i've done my best work and we've achieved the most as a company right because it 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 mm. ha- it's basically lit the touch paper of being like right this is what your your life is Alderson and james right you got like and you too, you got like a red pill blue pill moment and yeah it's like choose this 100 man yeah 100 i was like i'm I'm mindful of the time we've got about 10 minutes left um let's talk about what's happened since you come out into 2021 that was a bumper year and 2021 and two have been great years for the industry and then you've gone and built a team how different has it been for you um in what well, in terms of having like a team of a relative scale, right? To compare, I mean, like having less distraction. So you've got your family and you've got your job, and you're not running bloody circuits on all these like bet 365s. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Horrible, I mean, like, you know, lack it, of distraction. my life feels less complicated, I have to say. Like, you know, subsequent to, to, to that kind of admission of guilt, really, and 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 that situation. But what I've tried to do myself that since then is to surround myself with good people professionally, personally. Um, you know, it was all on me. It wasn't to you know people that I was hanging around with. I you know I made a conscious decision to do what I did, and you know, and it and it didn't work out right. Um, but having that kind of like level of immersion in the market, like you know, late 2020, um, uh, 21, and then early 2022, where we were just so so busy, man. Like uh, we did incredibly well. I had an incredible uh, year of billing uh, on a personal level. We did great as a business. Um, you know, we 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 quadrupled our best year in that year um so um team of three and we we've done probably like pretty much kind of two million across the team right in terms of fees um which is just in in, insane um and you know i just got to the point really you know maybe maybe timed it slightly badly that's in badly but not 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 ideal in terms of like the volume of work that we were getting um and you know where we had maneuvered ourselves to in terms of market position over the course of that 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 overheated market year, right? 
Um, strategically, you know, there's a lot of very, very good relationships, not only with companies, but with investors, right, in, the, in that situation, which has been really, uh, a really wonderful thing to, for, for us to, to, um, to be involved with as a business. But it was time, regardless of that market, for me to actually use that uh, pot that we built up to actually bring people in. Because actually, what, the, the most important thing for me about bringing people into the business is that I... And this might sound a bit namby-pamby, right? But I really want to empower people to go on a similar journey to what I did. Like, I don't mind if someone turns around in, you know, a year, two years time from working with me, say they want to set up on their own. Fine. You know, you live your life. Like, thank you so much for what you've done here. You know, go, like, go, go forth and 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 you know, and, and and achieve what you're capable of doing. Right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand anyone's way of doing that. But I want to me now multiple times, and uh, I'm always grateful for it. Well, that's it, man. Like, I, you know, I'm not here to hold people back, right? I, you know, I want to empower people to learn, to develop, to earn, and to work with exciting businesses, to work with great candidates, um, and to be proud of something, right? Um, and it's taken me that experience that I had with with my addiction to really kind of like think about what I want to give to the people who work with me, you know, clients and candidates, but also what I want to give to the people who work for me. And try to embody those kind of things so yeah i mean it, it, in terms of where we're at now as a business you know we've got um uh, we, we've been dealing with a tricky market for probably 12 months probably six What's, months i was going to say that what is the economic landscape like for you today we're, we're um, at the end of april 2023 yeah it's it, i mean to all intents and purposes the market seems to be improving for ta and hr roles like the you know kind of tech layoffs hashtag which is uh you know pretty kind of prominent at the moment it's yeah. been it's been brutal really for talent acquisition in particular right um and it's been going a lot longer i think than than a lot of people give it credit for um so we actually first start to see the turn of the market probably about march april last year where i think a lot of people think it started in the summer and towards yeah. you know, kind of the autumn um but it, it was gathering momentum to kind of like a pinnacle really of you know the meta and amazon layoffs you know, like droves thousands of people uh, and then kind of subsequent kind of second round layoffs, you know, in March this year, which was clearly like a financial year thing, right? But since like beginning of March, uh, and we've posted a good result really for 21, 22 on a wholesale level. Um, but billings did decline over the course of last year, for sure, for like 500 to 300 to 200 to 200. And Q1 this year was definitely not one to write home about. Things we were wise to that, it was always going to be like that, right? Um, but since beginning of March, we start to see a shift in momentum. And always in recruiting, you're dealing with conflicting currents, right? You've got a, you could have a surface level of turbulence and then there's a positivity coming to yeah. just kind of take out, take over it, right? And we've seen that, you know, we're busier now than we have been for uh, for probably the whole of 2023. Um, we reckon that we're going to stabilise in terms of our billings and and in, improve um, in a kind of, you know, to use like a, I suppose a, a trading like Bitcoin chart, right? But you could just kind of go, it kind of goes up and down it gets the way it kind of gets bigger as you continue to grow in your brand and your presence and you know your your um your capability increases right um so we kind of anticipate over the course of this year it's going to get better and better particularly the talent i think the hr and people side has been pretty kind of stable over the course of the past couple of years anyway right um and that you know that that maintains because of the necessity of hr people in both growth and decline situations are you doing any rec to rec anymore a uh, little bit here and there, um, uh, mainly on the um, uh, on the operations side of things, rather than recruiting you know, consultants. So um, we've done roles in L and D for recruiting businesses. Uh, we've done um, internal recruit roles for recruiting businesses, um, and 
I think on that side of things, you know, it's never something that I'd say never again to. Um, but I think, you know, the capacity that we could be useful in uh, there is, is more on the leadership side. And actually, I think one of the things that's really important to me is actually it's kind of breaking down those barriers between like in-house and agency in some respects, because we're in a, a market right now, there's a lot of in-house people who are on the market. Um, and oftentimes you find agencies in, are, are quite negative about the prospect of hiring someone who's been in-house, you know, join the dark side or, you know, obviously couldn't do it in agency or whatever. I mean, that's, that's all bullshit, right? Like a lot, especially in the last 10 years, a lot of very good recruiters have gone into in-house recruiting. But I think, you know, the, 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 the lines between the way that agencies operate and the way that in-house recruiters operate, I think that like there's a convergence and maybe a blur really in terms of the good agencies and the way that they partner with their end yeah. client in that really value-added, insightful, engaged in that cohesive way, rather than, you know, talk to a man about a dog type situation. Like here's a CV, like, you, you should hire this guy. Like good, good companies, good agencies out there will act as an extension of an in-house function. So why an in-house person shouldn't necessarily return to an agency position, I don't know, right? Because yeah. it's all about uh, knowledge, insight, and capability to engage. And that, you know, that's something that recruiters, whether you're in-house or agency, you've got to be good at these days, right? Um, and you should be looking to instill those uh, those, yeah, those values around process in, in, into your business. Final question then is what's the plan now then? So you're 10 years in, it's 10 year anniversary coming up very shortly. So well done. Hopefully yeah. I'll get invited to the testimonial game. Uh, at, at, <laughs> um, but in terms of the next phase, what is it? What, what are you wanting to achieve? So, uh, you know, where, where we are now is we we, we want to keep the, team, keep the team together here for, for this year, right? You know, we're, yeah. we're under certain kind of uh, perceptions really that, you know, it's been a tough market. And but I brought this group of people in here uh, for uh, for a reason. It's because they blend well. It's because they care. And it's because they're good at what they do, right? So regardless of what happens in the market over the course of the next year, this team stays together. And I've you know I've told them that um, because I want us to consolidate and I want us to be ready. Um, in terms of growth, you know, I'd never wanted us to be uh, like a thousand person business. I think the quality that we have to offer comes in our um, in our level of close partnering with clients. Um, and our ability to be, uh, I suppose, kind of small but mighty, right? You know, it's um, it's something that's always been quite, when you're working in a niche market in the way that we do, right? Um, I think it's important that we are able to maintain a personality of the business and the way that we come across to uh, to, uh, to to our customers and, and, and to our candidates. So there'll be a bit of growth probably over the course of the next couple of years. I think, you know, look, probably top out maybe 16, 20 people. Um, you know, obviously that can change. Are you still... Will you still see yourself in the same role and billing manager or will you step I off? Think, I think so. I think it's really important for managers and leaders to stay on the tools um, as much as possible. Although there has to be like there has to come kind of a departure point where you are, you know, you're propagating opportunities for the people in the business. Right. And that, you know, we, that, we talked about it before with the holiday. Right. So like yeah. the business can't just rely on your billings it has to be like your 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 percentage of value needs to decrease as the team grows right so if you're yeah. billing 60 percent now you need to be doing the 40 percent then the 30 percent the 20 now yeah. your your billings might actually remain similar but the numbers yeah. in the, the business that's that's got to happen as you grow and i know that from the show that the people i've interviewed mm. um it's interesting recently that episode with jonathan field if you listen to that one from ssq mm. and he talked about 
you know, 160 people and everyone still has a billing target. Like everyone. And it's like, yeah. he's co-CEO and he still bills. And it's like, fucking awesome. Like, I love that. Like, that's really cool. Because you can't, like, you can't have a an appreciation of the challenges that people who work for you are facing if you're not facing them yourself. Yeah. Like, what the challenges that I faced 10 years ago are different to what they'll have now, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't just kind of leave that to the wayside and say, you know, okay, well, you know, I get, I get your pain. I understand how, you know, this, this is working when you're not, when you're not at the cold face, right? You've got to be at the cold face to feel the heat. So yeah, my role will probably, it will develop, you know, replacing yourself in terms of your revenue generation is the hardest thing for any entrepreneurial recruiting business owners to do. Um, I feel like I've got that with the blend of people that we've got at the moment. You know, we want to, we want to get a bit bigger. We want to share more content and insights. We've got experienced people here. We're doing loads of that stuff. Obviously, you know, you, you, uh, uh, helping with that at the moment um and um and yeah you know just keep keep doing doing good stuff for people you know we we, we genuinely give a shit about our, our, our clients growth we give a shit about career development for our candidates we want to make a difference and we want to help and that's why we're here what a way to end james thank you mate it's been uh been a long one one hour 20 minutes it's longer than i expected but Sorry, mate. I chatted, don't I? <laughs> I mean, it was really insightful. I think it was really honest, really vulnerable. I think um, a lot of people can empathise with both the personal, both being a father, mm-hmm. you know, all the t- what we discussed there, plus the gambling, plus the the, the whether they're going to start a new business, whether they've already launched their business, the the lifestyle without the plan, building a team, growing it. There's so much in here, and what I would say is it's it's just so relevant. It's so relevant to the. The reality of the audience that are listening so thank you mate i really appreciate no it if worries, anyone does, if anyone is inspired to talk to you reach out once to, even if it's about the gambling stuff whatever would you be okay to them 100 mate i mean the thing that i should have done with that i needed to talk to people i would give them the bravado but i would never give them pain um because yeah. i was too embarrassed to right so yeah. um if anyone does want to talk about you know building a business anyone talks about you know demons that they're facing or challenges that they have around it fuck it man james You've been a star. We'll get you on again in the future. Good luck with everything. Thanks, matey. Take care. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.